Our speaker tonight is Lieutenant Colonel Rachel Coggin. She's an Army Reserve Chaplain. She has been for 24 years. Uh, she lives with her husband, Michael, in Navarre, Florida. They have a son, Nathan. Um, Michael was a, was a reserve chaplain as well. He was a chaplain. He's retired. Active duty. Uh, they've lived in four different countries, nine different states. They've averaged moving every 20 months. She was assigned at one time in Turkey, and uh, in that uh, experience, she started her Doctor of Ministry degree focusing on the life of the Apostle Paul uh, because she was in the land of Paul at that same time. 2004, she spent a year at the medical center in Germany uh, where there were about 1,000 wounded uh, coming through that hospital per month. Uh, 2007, she was deployed to Kuwait uh, where there were 1,500 soldiers per day going through that. Um, she wrote a book called The Travels in, Travels in the Land of Paul. She wrote a book while she was in Kuwait, Gateway to Iraq, A Chaplain Story, and we have some copies of those outside that are available. You didn't bring your Apostle Paul book with you, did you? Uh, oh, okay. Okay, well, that's fine. Uh, i tell you what I think is so neat. Um, Dr. Coggins, uh, Lieutenant Colonel, uh, will be retiring from her reserve unit Friday, July the 4th, at the end of this week. And uh, she will join her husband in Navarre, Florida, and we wish you all the very best. Thank you so much uh, for being here. I have a strong feeling that a church house is where this is supposed to take place around July the 4th. Now, we could go somewhere and have a picnic. Or we could go to the ballpark and watch a ball game and see the fireworks. But I have a strong gut belief that a church house is where you have a service like this because of the two pillars that I talked about. We don't bring them together all the time in our church, but this is one night that we do. And so uh, she's here to lead us. Thank you so much for being with us. It's definitely my privilege to be here. And uh, I hope tonight to give you an idea, a little bit of an idea of what chaplains do. I think the first thing you'll notice is that I'm female, and uh, I'm going to answer that question right up front. How many female chaplains are there? Not too many. <laughs> Not too many at all. We are, uh, on average, about 7% of the chaplaincy, and that's somewhere around 100. So uh, we, we are very rare. And so I, I must say thank you. Uh, for your church and others like you. I'm endorsed by the, first by SBC and then CBF, and it is churches like you that have supported me, and without that support, I could not be uh, what I have done. I could not have done what I have done. But I'm going to focus tonight on, on what chaplains are, and one of the first things that I'd like to tell you is that we are non-combatants, which means that we don't fight. We are the only branch in the military that is not allowed, not allowed to carry a weapon of any kind. 
But I propose to you that we are combatants. We, we combat spiritual darkness. So I would like to tell you at least three ways things that we combat as um, you follow my outline. First, I'd like to share with you a bit of my testimony. I am from Louisiana. That is the accent. It's a lot like yours <laughs> from Alabama. Um, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church listening to the stories of Annie Armstrong and Lottie Moon and loving the stories of the missionaries. So I grew up, it's beautiful to see what you, you folks are doing here. I know that a big part of your group is on a mission field right now. That's fantastic. And uh, I appreciate your support for me because I'm going on two mission trips and uh, that will help me with those. Um, but I grew up listening to the stories of missionaries. We had a little library with missionary stories, and I just loved all of those stories. One of my favorite ones is a missionary uh, from the Orient. They were missionaries in the Orient, came and was trying to teach me to eat with chopsticks when I was just a little girl. And that made such an impression on me. I loved that, and I knew from a, from a little girl that that would be a great thing to do. I'd love to tell you that I stayed totally on focus, on track, knew where I was going, but I can't quite tell you that. I had a little teenage uh, distraction there where I, I wasn't exactly following God, but thank God he brought me back to my senses, brought me back to the Lord, and in my second year of, in college, uh, I was very active in our BSU, Baptist Student Union, and learning what it meant to be a minister by doing vacation Bible schools and doing all the projects that we did. After college, I knew I had a calling, but I didn't know what it was or where it was to be. I, you know, God, are you sure? You know that I'm female, right? Um, <laughs> it's one of those things. But I did start seminary. I started seminary at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. I only made it one semester, though. I had what I might call a, a Jonah in the whale experience. You do know Jonah, right? Uh, the original Jaws story. Well, I'm just checking because, you know, um, sometimes people don't know their Bible. We, we assume that. In fact, our pastor went to his Sunday school class the other day, and he said uh, he was, the teacher hadn't come in yet, and he thought he'd do a little quiz. And he said, okay, who tore down the wall at Jericho? Everybody got big-eyed and looking around. Finally, little Johnny said, I didn't do it. <laughs> the pastor was a little upset, and he, he, uh, uh, finally the teacher came in, and he said, I asked them who tore down the wall at Jericho, and Johnny said, I didn't do it. And the teacher says, well, pastor, I, I feel confident that if Johnny said he didn't do it, he didn't do it. <laughs> Well, he was still outdone, so he, uh, he came to, his, to the deacon's meeting and said, something has got to be done. I asked the class who tore down the wall at Jericho. I asked the teacher who tore down the wall at Jericho. And they said, Pastor, Pastor, don't get so upset. Whoever tore it down, we'll fix it. <laughs> so you do know the story of, of Jonah, right? Okay, very good. Well... I'm using the term metaphorically that I had a Jonah experience, three years going in the wrong direction. Again, when I came to my senses again, I left Louisiana and went to North Carolina, 
Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, where I got my Master of Divinity degree, and met Michael Coggins. <laughs> so I've got an MDiv and an MRS at Southeastern. Well, this was great, and in 1980, oh, before Michael would ever date me, he made sure that I, understand, I understood that he was going to be an active duty Air Force chaplain. And that meant that we'd be moving. I think he told you we, we moved out of houses every 20 months. That, that was our average. And we crossed the ocean many times. He said we would be moving, and we wouldn't be at home. We'd have to leave home. He made sure that I understood that. Well, I thought, yeah, that sounds good to me. So hence the name Coggins. <laughs> we got his first duty assignment was at... Um, near Boston, Massachusetts, Hanscom Air Force Base. And that was in 1986. I had just finished my degrees. I was ready for my job. And the best job I could get was secretary at the Greater Boston Baptist Association. Now, I have nothing against secretaries. That's great ministry, and that's wonderful. But that's not what I got my Master of Divinity for. And I was still a little frustrated with where is my ministry place? Well, one day on our Air Force base, I saw a woman an army, in an Army uniform, and she was a chaplain. And I met her, and she agreed to talk with me, and we sat down and talked, and she explained to me that she was a wife, she was a mother, she was dedicated to those fields, but she could do, fulfill her professional calling as a minister by being an Army Reserve chaplain. I said, that's what I want to do. And sure enough, they helped me. They helped me get in. They got me, uh, I was ordained in a Southern Baptist church. Yes, I was. <laughs> in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, and thus I began the journey as an Army Reserve chaplain. December the 12th, 1989, I was commissioned into the Army. Shortly after that, I followed my husband to his uh, second duty assignment, which was in Wiesbaden, Germany. Um, and three months after we got there, the first Gulf War started. He was deployed to Southwest Asia, leaving me there alone. But it wasn't for long because they activated me and sent me to a little base in Aschaffenburg, Germany. I went to a shopping bird to support the family members and the wives, the wives and the children who were left behind because almost all of the soldiers were deployed at that time, the soldiers and their chaplains. And left behind on this little base, what they called Kasern, were all those family members. It affirmed to me my calling as a female because it was all women who were left there. It was all women in the church that women had to step up and be the ushers and do everything. It was a, an amazing time. Um, I have some pictures to show you. There we are. Uh, this is Mike and I in uh, 1991. Mike had just, he has just come back from his deployment. We're actually standing in the front of a chapel in Wiesbaden, Germany, and that's me and my, uh, as I'm, I'm still activated at the time, but I'm, Got to come home for the parade. <laughs> we had a parade. They didn't ride tricycles, though. <laughs> this is a, a, a picture of a, a, a German 
a building in the back, but this is Catherine Cobe. It's pronounced Cobe. And she's one of two women and 50 men who were kidnapped during the Iranian hostage crisis. Do you all remember that? She spoke at our, a prayer breakfast for me. I had her come, and she lived in Germany. And it was a great honor to meet her. I don't know if you just recently saw the, the, the movie that came out, Argo. Argo is about, um, that's with Ben Affleck. It's about this story. And you'll see a little clip in there where they're capturing the people, and one of them is a woman. There was only two women, so it's 50% chance that that person represented there was uh, Ms. Cobe. And the third picture, this is our chapel. And uh, it's a a German church that we use as a chapel. Now, I'm going to read something to you because trying to put into feeling what it was like to be there in that chapel, I, uh, I think it's best portrayed in this writing. This was uh, early in the uh, time, and here's the story. It goes, snow covered the ground of the small German city as I trudged toward the chapel. In the pre-dawn darkness hour, I pulled my scarf high over my cheeks as the cold wind bit hard. Stepping swiftly more from fear than from cold, I finally arrived at my destination a beautiful stone German church built nearly 200 years ago. It served as the army chapel at the edge of the American housing area. I stopped short of my office to sing and enjoy the wonderful acoustics of the still empty stone chapel. As light began to peep through the high stained glass window, I felt the presence of God. The following Sunday, military guards in full battle gear carrying M16s stood on each side of the entranceway of the chapel and checked the people as they arrived. Saddam Hussein had promised to rain terror on Americans in retaliation for airstrikes. Terrorist acts against Americans in foreign countries was in our minds, and the promise of terror was effective. We were afraid. What do chaplains do? We combat fear. Psalms 27, 1 through 3, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. Those are beautiful verses. You know them. You've memorized them. But when you're walking down a dark street in a German town and you know that people are out to get you, it takes on a whole new meaning. Meaning. I had the privilege of doing just this, standing before a church congregation and preaching and proclaiming that God would take care of us. We only had one injury from the men that were there. The ladies were very afraid, but God did indeed take care of us. We combat fear. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear what? No evil. 
for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. How about that? We can sit down and eat because we don't need to be afraid of them. My, you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Yes, runs over or overflows. In 2004, I was again called up to active duty. This time to Landstuhl Regional Medical Center in, in Landstuhl, Germany. And as he said, we had an average of 1,000 soldiers a month who would come through there, wounded soldiers. In a minute, we're going to show a video, and I'm just going to step aside and let it go. It's seven minutes long. I'll, I'll, I'll warn you, it's a little long, but it, it's a picture's worth a thousand words, so there's a lot of good pictures here. Most of the pictures I took, uh, and I want to tell you about these pictures. Uh, it will start off, and there will be some of the beautiful churches in, in Europe. Some of them are, are from, the, from the churches, some of the stained glass windows and such. It, this is to a song by Dennis Jernigan. Uh, you may know him. He's written some of our hymns. And it's called Wounded Soldier. So I matched the words up with the pictures. Uh, there will be pictures of soldiers that the soldiers gave me straight from Iraq. So you will see pictures that they themselves took and brought, were bringing out. You will see pictures in the hospital of soldiers. And then you will see pictures and the, what we call the warrior transition. This was, we might call them now walking wounded. They were uh, hurt and injured, but not so much that they had to stay in the hospital. They would come to the hospital, see their doctors, and then ride a bus back to, uh, to uh, a barracks. Now, they were free enough that I was able, I started a ministry there. I would go, and we had a worship service there. We had a Bible study on a Wednesday nights, and I would take them on a trip together. So you'll see some pictures of people walking in this beautiful, beautiful place, and it was such a privilege to take them from the battles of Iraq and walk them around in beautiful Germany and just let them have a reprieve, a rest. I took them to Trier. Some of, you'll see some pictures there. So we will start the movie, and I'll just move aside and let that play. Down by those you did. 
bruised and broken, needing to rise again. Let me bind up every wound. Let me comfort every pain. Let me carry you to a place of rest. Shelter from pouring rain. Let me hold you. I can be right where you are. Let me hold you in the shelter of my heart. When you're weary from the battle and the hope just seems so far, just remember. Faithfully guarding your heart While the battle rages on I will hold you through the night In the shadow of the cross I'll be your champion Fight your fight Let me hold you
the power of my strongest love from my heart's deepest song let me hold you i can be right where you are let me hold you in the shelter of my What would you think that? <laughs> see, we can see. That can be kind of heavy, huh? Uh, the soldiers, the, the Marine actually, the one that had the had a green thing with the crosses, those were each, each of those crosses represented someone that he knew that was killed. So we, there were a lot of tragic stories that went through launch. Well, that's kind of heavy, wasn't it? Maybe I should um, tell a joke or something. Uh, <laughs> I, um, this isn't a joke, this actually happened, sort of. I was in, uh, sent to Egypt one, one time for a three-week three uh, tour, and it was so miserably hot there, just horribly hot. And we were close enough to the Mediterranean that it wasn't just hot, it was sticky hot. And I was walking from one place to the other, and I, we had black boots at the time, they're we don't wear those anymore, but uh, I'm walking along the asphalt, and the asphalt is so hot it's bubbling, and so I'm sticking as I'm walking, and I'm walking along, and all of a sudden I hear this flop, 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 and I look down, and my shoe is coming apart, sticking on the asphalt, and it's separating, so I'm just undone, and I go, and I sit down, and finally I found a cool place, and I sit down, and I'm just, I look a mess, and a soldier come up and says, ma'am, are you okay? I said, soldier, I'm so hot, I almost lost my soul. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> I don't know if I'd lose my soul, but you can certainly lose a lot working at the pace that I was working at Longstool. And uh, do you think you can be addicted to helping people? There's something about that because I was working constantly. And it was one of those things where there was so much need that I could just walk through and that I could meet a need. And it was, um, it was sort of addicting. You, were, you get to a point where you're not taking care of yourself. So I had to learn some things about taking care of myself and balancing what it means to be a minister. But what do chaplains do? We take care of, we help with suffering. We take care of people. And we help them with pain. We combat suffering and pain. And there was certainly plenty of it there. Can I share a little tidbit with you? Um, We had a little saying that was called, touch the stone. And I'm not absolutely positive what it meant, but I I know what it meant, what I mean, I'm not sure where it came from, but I know what it meant. People would love to come. People would visit DVs, senators, 
congressman, lots of people would come to Longstuhl Hospital and want to go up on the top floor and see the wounded soldiers. And they'd want to get in there, they'd want to see, you know, that hero, that number one person, that, that's what they, that some of the people call touch the stone. If I could just get to, I want to see that one person. Well, there was a story one time where one of the soldiers was up there and he had had an accident and he'd run off into the river in his uh, vehicle and he almost drowned. And one of the other soldiers jumped in and saved his life to great peril to himself and pulled him out. Now, you may have seen one of the pictures where there's people in crutches just standing up against the wall. Do you remember that picture? Well, he was one of those guys. He was not on the top floor, he was on the bottom floor. And people would come and say, we want to see the soldiers, we want to see the wounded soldiers. And I would say to them, you just passed a dozen of them in the hall. Are you tracking with me? You know what I'm saying? So what I'm asking you is when you're thinking about soldiers that you can minister to, or some of these people that you saw on the video, you're working, you're passing them at the grocery store. You're in line with them at Walmart. They're here, and they need a touch from all of us. So that's what I'm asking as a chaplain. Reach out to the soldiers. And it's not necessarily me in uniform that you, that's so obvious. A lot of times they're just, they're the guy fixing the car, or they're around all over. My last story, yes, we're coming to an end eventually here, uh, what do chaplains do? We combat hopelessness. And there's certainly a lot of hopelessness out there. I worked at Ali Asalim Kuwait. Ali Asalim Kuwait was called the gateway to Iraq because the planes would come out of Atlanta and out of Dallas and they would land in Kuwait City. They'd bust them to Ali Asalim and then from there they would take the smaller planes into their many places in Iraq, Afghanistan, or drive them to Kuwait. So from here, it was the gateway. 1,500 people a day came through there. Going out, going in, R&R people, going in, going out. It was quite a bit of drama, (laughs) quite a bit of drama. I've written a book about it. So you were welcome to read all the stories about it because there's, there's a lot of them. What I did was I took our average day and I took uh, an hour. I took 24 chapters. I start, it starts at 1 o'clock, actually, 1 o'clock in the morning and goes to 2400, midnight. And I actually followed the, the, uh, our battle rhythm that we did there and tell a different story uh, every hour. Um, but many of the stories that came to me were stories of trauma that happened at home. They went home, something was wrong, and now they've got to go back into a battlefield. They've got to get their focus back together. They've got to leave at home, but home at home, but they're still worried about it. And they would end up on my doorsteps at midnight, crying their eyes out, upset about what was going on. And what did I have for them? So much of the book is my struggling of, wow, what do I have to tell them? But God was so faithful to speak with me so often, to give a word of hope. Without hope, what are we? Who is our hope? 
certainly Christ is our hope. Hebrews 10, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And 1 Peter 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, an inheritance incorruptible. For so many people, they think it's hopeless. Hopelessness is one of the main causes of suicide. So what do chaplains do? We battle hopelessness. I'm going to end tonight with a poem. This is a a poem that I wrote at Longstool, and if you can imagine this a minute. Um, Late at night, sometimes I would visit the wards, and there was the ICU. Of course, you know what an ICU is, right? And that was where it was most quiet. And if you've ever been into an ICU room where nothing's, no one is moving, but just the bleep, bleep, bleep of the machines, and a a person is um, unconscious. So I've asked you, one, remember that the people around you are the ones who are, and the second thing is to remember to pray for us. And this is a, a, a poem that I call Silence, and it's about prayer, but it, it is about walking into this room. And I'm going to end with this poem, so if you allow me to uh, present it to you in this way. I walk into a silent room and see a silent soldier. I stand in silence by his bed and say a silent prayer. Upstirs a sounding thunder from deep within my soul. I sense the voice of his mother calling, Oh, my son, please hold. Where is he? How is he? Will he come home today? I reach and touch his broken body and pray divine healing will flow through my hand. I feel it oh so strongly. I falter there to stand. Oh Lord God, I join the prayers of those who pray for him. You who knit together his body inside his mother's womb, knit back this broken body and send him home soon. I turn and walk in silence out of the silent room. What can be done in silence will shout throughout eternity. God bless you and thank you.